0: If you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? I'm going to add John one, the first two verses in addition to what's on the screen. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is God's Word. If you'd like to follow in your Bibles, uh, the Pew Bibles, it would be page uh, 886. Lights surround us at Christmas time. We drive the streets and we see the, the houses are decorated, the yards are decorated with lights. We come to our own homes and we have candles on our fireplace mantles. We have Christmas lights on our trees and our wreaths. Light was also very prevalent at the first Christmas. When the shepherds were out in the field in the darkness of night, it was the glory of the Lord that shone upon him and enlightened and, and the sky to the point where the shepherds became afraid, and the angel announced, That to you has been born a Savior. The Magi came from far away. They were following a star. When they lost sight of the light of that star, they they went to Jerusalem because they had lost their way. Where might this king be born? And he was led when once again they could see the light of the star. Physical light abounds in the darkness at Christmas time. But John goes a step further and says there is in this child a spiritual life that cuts through the darkness. This morning we're going to look at that light. Also, that this light was the creator and this light was the life of men. Let's pray. Our Father, it's impossible for me, probably anybody, to capture the, the wonderful, glorious truths that are in these first verses of John. Uh, But your spirit can help capture it for us. So we call upon you, Lord, to, to speak into our hearts your very word, to bring home the meaning of Christmas that's in Jesus Christ. Open our hearts today to hear our eyes to see who this Jesus is. And may we truly adore him as we see him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning we're going to look at three things. One, that Jesus is the creator. Two, that he is the life. And three, that he is the light. Uh, we open in John 1.3 where it says, All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made That was made. This, This is an astounding statement that this this babe born in Bethlehem and lying in a manger is the creator of the earth. He's the creator of the universe. I mean, if you looked up in clip art a picture of God creator, you would probably get something like just a hand holding the earth in it. And we're saying, this babe is that creator holding not just the earth, but the entire universe in his hand. When we realize this, we wonder why we would not fall down and worship him. How we could ever bring him to the same plane as other religious leaders No other religious leader claimed to create the universe. But here we have it. All things were made through him. Without him, not one thing that was made was made. He is the creator. But this verse is in a context of the first two verses. In the beginning, as we saw, is a reminder to draw us back not just to creation, as Genesis opens with the same words in the beginning. But back before the beginning, in the beginning, before the beginning was the word. And we saw that that, the Greek word for that was the logos. We get our word logic. And we see that this, this logos, who is, who puts all of life together, gives us understanding of life, The one who is the rational principle, as the Greeks would say, the rational principle of life itself, who gives us meaning, purpose, was with God from eternity past. And he was God. And so it lays out this dynamic as we can begin to imagine that the logos who is revealed in Verse 14, as the Son of God is with God from eternity past. What's interesting is how verse 2 doubles down on the fact that the Logos is with God. So he's trying to give us this picture of God the Father and God the Son and even God the Holy Spirit. And we ask the question, what were they doing before they created? So why would they ever create? And we see from John 17, as we've brought out many times in this pulpit, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were in an eternal love relationship where they held each other at the center of themselves. And... They were mutually glorifying, lifting yourself up, treasuring each other more than they treasured themselves. And so we have that, a sense of that when we put the Gospel of John together that God is relating to himself in a very special way. Cornelius Plantinga described it as this. The persons within God exalt each other, commune with each other, defer to each other. Each divine person harbors the others at the center of their being. Bruce Ware adds, in every respect, they enjoy one another. They are in need of nothing but each other throughout eternity. So that last statement is really important. They had perfect joy in this relationship. They had need for nothing else. So the question becomes, why would they create? And the scripture does say, let us create God in our image. Why would they create? It's because the love is so great, So God is love, that it bursts forth into creation, and that's what we see in verse, one, at verse 3, that all things are now created through the logos, through God the Son, Colossians chapter one adds a second reason for creating. God created because He loves. He wants us to experience the joy that He has experienced from eternity, and a love relationship with Him, and a glorifying relationship with Him. As the West, shorter Westminster Confession says, the chief end of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But Colossians 1.16 adds another purpose, talking about Jesus. It says, By Him all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. You see... The Father's love was so great that he wanted the Son to create this world so this world would glorify him. Jesus himself, as he lived on this earth, was all about glorifying the Father. He's going to say later in John, I don't seek my own glory. The Father seeks my glory. And later he will pray, Father, glorify me that I may glorify you. They are just about each other. And so we're created to enjoy God, to come into that special relationship where we find fulfillment, where we thrive by glorifying God, by enjoying his love and loving him in return and lifting up Jesus Christ. You know, when on a couple of occasions... When angels appear, people will start to worship them. And the angel says, "Stop. I'm not God. Just an angel. Don't worship me." There's a couple of occasions where men are worshiped after some of their miracles, and they say, "Stop. We're not God. We're just men. Don't worship us." When Jesus is worshiped, he doesn't say stop. He accepts that worship as God. In fact, Revelation chapter 5 gives us insight into what's happening in heaven itself. It says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and all of them saying this To him who sits on the throne, that's God the Father, and to the Lamb, God the Son, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And then all four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped them. Uh, One of my professors shared a story where he was having a conversation with somebody who did not believe Jesus was God. Very religious, but Jesus is not God. And of course, they debated the scriptures, and he finally uh, so he wasn 't going to get anywhere with him, and then he said, well i guess uh, I guess we 'll never convince each other, and maybe it 'll be hard to understand here on earth uh, whether Jesus is God or not or whether he should be worshipped i mean if if i 'm if you worship if you don 't worship God and he, jesus isn 't god then i 'm wrong to be worshiping him but if Jesus is God, then you're wrong to not be worshiping It's hard to understand on earth, but they're not confused in heaven. And he came to this passage. The entire angelic realm is worshiping Jesus Christ. What we've come to do here today. So, Jesus is the creator. He deserves our praise and our glory and our life. And John continues, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so it's natural that if Jesus is the creator, he's the one who who brings us life, but he also defines life for us. For us to understand life, for us to thrive in life, we need to turn to Jesus who created life. Uh, if you're having trouble with something, you want to turn to the owner's manual. The, the person who created this, or at least understands it, because they're tied to the person who created it. A few years ago, I had a we had our furnace was uh, we got a new furnace, and it was deep into November, and it was cold outside. And after a week, it stopped working. And so we called up the serviceman. He came out, and he twiddled with something, and, and it was going for two days, and <laughs> it stopped again. And so we called him up, and he came over, and he changed the thermostat, and it worked for two days, and, and it stopped again. Called him up third time. Same thing happens, and it's cold out now. And each time, it was like three, four days before he got to us. And I remember telling Rob Stanley this, and Rob said, tell him to call the factory. And when I talked to the man, and he finally came to the conclusion, I need to talk to the factory. And they told him what he had done wrong. The exit pipe was too small. And that's what you need to do. Who created it? Who's the factory? They're the ones who know how to fix things. So Jesus Christ is the one who defines life itself. If we want to thrive in life, we need to know Jesus and we need to follow him. He created it. Beyond that, as the creator, we should not sit in judgment over him. Romans brings out, the clay doesn't tell the potter what to make it. The potter fashions the clay as the potter so desires. The potter determines our purpose. We don't. The Creator does. The potter gives us our identity. We don't create our own identity according to our feelings. We need to turn to the Creator. We need to look upward and not inward to understand who we are. C.S. Lewis said this in his book, God and the Dock. The dock is an English word for where the accused people would stand. He says, the ancient man approached God as the accused person approaches a judge. For the modern man, the roles are reversed He is the judge, and God is the accused, standing in the dock. The trial may end in God's acquittal, but the important thing is that man is on the bench, he's the judge, and God is in the dock. He said this over a generation ago, certainly things have not changed as we make pronouncements over God. Now, I'm not saying that we can't ask God questions. We need to ask God questions when we struggle with something in life because that's how we learn, that's how we grow, that's how we unite with God. What I'm talking about is the critical judgments about God in his word. Do we charge God? Do we say God is not good when we run into problems? And trials and tragedies in our lives? Do we sit in God judgment over God? Do we portray God as a cosmic killjoy His word does not line up with what we want to do? Do we charge God's followers with hate speech when they simply hold to the word of God and speak what the word of God speaks. These are all ways in which we sit in judgment over God. Do we, as Christians, compromise the word of God because of the pressure of our culture? Then we are acquiescing to those who are judging God. Jesus Christ is the creator, therefore he created life. We need to follow him to thrive. But more than that, he is not only the author of spiritual life, the verse says he is the life. If Jesus wrote the owner's manual, he knows the way to eternal life. He knows the way to a relationship with God. And he says it isn't about cleaning up our lives or working through spiritual self-improvement programs. The scriptures say we are dead in our trespasses and our sins, but Christ made us alive. Every other religious leader shows a way that they think is the way to God. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the life, and by that he meant what he came to do his death on the cross is what brings us eternal life. He said, I came that you might have life, have it abundantly, have it eternal. And uh, I'd like to share a s- simple understanding of that, is that. God created us, and we are accountable to him. He is a holy God. He is a just God. He is a perfect God. And he wants a relationship with us. However, there's a barrier between us and God, and that's our sin. It keeps us from God. And sin is essentially making ourselves the center of our lives rather than making God the center of our lives. It's turning to other things to fulfill our lives rather than to God who is there to fulfill every aspect of our lives. It is a disobedience to the word of God, and that sin is in the way. But the Bible says, he who knew no sin, which was Jesus, became sin for us. He took our sin upon himself on the cross. He paid for it. God's justice that we deserve fell on him. So when that sin is gone, we can have that relationship with him and have eternal life. He is the creator. He is the life. And that life is the light of men. Verse 5, The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. One of the first things I remember about being at Westgate Church was uh, Jim Benson, who was the associate pastor at that time, came up and gave an announcement about Sandy Island, which is our, our annual church retreat at the beginning of September, and hope you can all make that. But he gave this, in the announcement he said, bring your flashlight. And he did this hilarious presentation about how you needed to have your flashlight. Well, when I got to Sandy Island, I realized, you better have your flashlight. It is so dark there, and the paths are so narrow, and even the paths are are filled with roots and, and rocks. And if you get off the path, which I often do when I forget my flashlight, I end up off the path and making my way through brush and trying to figure out, is this my cabin? I think it is. and It's, it's hard if you don't bring your flashlight. The same is true in life. We, we live in darkness. And if we, we're not, if we don't have the light, we're, we're gonna struggle, we're gonna trip, we're gonna fall, we're gonna be going to the wrong cabin going to the wrong place. And so God sent his life into this world that had turned against him and darkness fell over it. Our world is broken, and almost everyone can acknowledge that. Our world is dark. We need light. Otherwise, we're going to stumble through life. And right now, as people reject God, they are stumbling over the biggest questions of life itself. Meaning of life. What's what's our purpose? What's the meaning? And so one scientist was asked that. What's the meaning of life? And his answer was, there is none. Jerry Coyne, uh, a well-known atheist and biology professor, uh, said this. What people cannot abide is the conviction that the universe and life are pointless. Which is really science, it's telling us. Pointless in the sense that there is no externally imposed purpose or point to the universe. As atheists, this is something that is manifestly true to us. No purpose, life is pointless. Here for a moment gone, and that's it. Contrast that with the light who has come and says you have a glorious purpose. That purpose is to enjoy God himself, to receive his love, to receive his glory, and enter into that the beauty of that relationship, a love relationship like husbands and wives should have for each other where they lift up each other and receive the love from each other. What's the foundation of morality? Uh, Who determines good and evil? Existentialist philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre wrote, If God does not exist, we have neither behind us nor before us a luminous realm of values. I don't know if you got that one, but what he's saying is, if there is no God, there's no foundation for values. There, there's nothing to turn to. And, and he, is, he once gave the picture, if you're driving down the street and you see a hitchhiker, it's just as moral to run him over as it is to pick him up because there's no basis and foundation for values. If we create our own value system, our own truth, then the value system of Adolf Hitler is... As justified as that as Mother Teresa. But see, there is a creator who determines what is right and wrong. And he said the foundation of all that he teaches is love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. And that he built the entire, all of his commandments off of those two commandments. There is right and wrong, and our Lord determines it. How about death? We all face death. It's always it's the last chapter in every one of our stories, no matter how well life goes. Death is the last chapter. So we turn to renowned genius and physicist Stephen Hawking, and he says of death, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken-down computers. That's a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. Contrast that with Jesus' words. I am the resurrection and the life. His words were, I leave the Father's house. There are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you, so where I am, you will be also. We live in darkness. Christ's light shines through that darkness. But part of our darkness is our own personal blindness, our inability to admit that we are in the dark. And we try to create fantasies that we can make up a purpose, we can make up what's right or wrong, and somehow everybody's going to heaven even though there's no, we have no basis for saying that. Uh, film writer Woody Allen understood this, and he said, the only way that you can be happy is if you tell yourself some lies and deceive yourself. I'm not the first person to say this, or even the most articulate person. It was said by Nietzsche, it was said by Freud, it was said by Eugene O'Neill. One must have one's own delusions to live. If you look at life too honestly and clearly, life becomes unbearable because it's pretty grim enterprise. We live in darkness and we remain in darkness, but the light has come to speak into that darkness. Jesus, after he healed a blind man, he was teaching about himself And some of the religious leaders heard him, and they said, so are you saying that we're blind? And Jesus responded, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say we see, your guilt remains. And what he's saying is, if you recognize you're blind, then there's hope for you, because you're going to turn to the light. But if you don't see your own blindness, then you are actually blind. The light is there, and he has broken through. We don't understand it. In fact, the word we, when we look back at uh, this word, the darkness has not overcome it. It really, that word overcome has two meanings. One is comprehend. And we've just seen that we don't, apart from Christ, don't understand what it means, the biggest questions in life. But it also means what the ESV is, VSV has translated it, the darkness couldn't overcome it. You know, many people think what I'm preaching this morning is fantasy no proof, just wishful thinking around Christmas time and throughout the year. So John continues verses 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that it all might believe through him. He's not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. And Since what John is saying here is I'm not telling you to believe what I'm saying without a foundation. God sent someone before him. He sent John, John the Baptist, who gave a testimony to Jesus Christ, who prepared the way. Later, when uh, Jesus is trying to answer the, the critics who won't believe in him, won't believe his word, he says, you know, I testify about myself. But I understand self-testimony isn't enough. There's another one who gives testimony, and that's John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is so revered that the religious leaders dare not uh, criticize him. He was so revered that the Jewish historian, Josephus, speaks of him respectfully. So to us, John the Baptist is some ancient character. To those who are reading this, He was somebody you could be trusted. But later Jesus goes on and says, not only is John the Baptist the testimony, my miracles are the testimony. God's word is the testimony. All of his prophecies about me is the testimony. God himself in glorifying me, his voice coming out of heaven is a testimony to me. There is plenty of testimony. We're not talking wishful thinking. We're talking... Truth built on evidence. The light came into the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it. You enter into a room with a flashlight and all of a sudden there's light and you can't like try to wave some darkness over that light and all of a sudden it's dark again because we wave darkness over it. No, light cuts through and darkness cannot overcome it. Darkness tried to overcome Jesus. Religious leaders tried to overcome him. The Roman soldiers tried to overcome him. Pilate tried to overcome him. The, The crowd that cried, crucify him, tried to overcome him. And they killed him. They thought they had overcome him. And three days later, he overcame death itself. Jesus is the Logos. Was with God and was God and is God, and he created life. So he's the author of life, and he's the light that speaks into darkness. Many of you who uh, lived in the 60s and maybe later, maybe more of us, know who Madeline Marie O'Hare is. She was the founder of the atheist, American Atheist Organization. It was her lawsuit that went to the Supreme Court that get the, got the Supreme Court to issue a ruling that there could no longer be prayer and reading of the scripture in public schools. It was her movement that began the separation of church and straight, state and took God out of public schools and out of many public platforms. And what she did reverberates to this day in court rulings. She was rabid atheist who attacked the idea of God every place she could. But her atheism never brought her joy, only despair. So when her personal belongings were auctioned off, it was discovered that on six different pages of her writings was the heartbreaking cry Somebody, somewhere, love me. She was in the darkness, but she didn't see the light. She tried to squelch the light. And because of that, she cries out, "Will somebody, somewhere, love me. And because she didn't look to the light, she never read the words, God so loved, Madeline Murray here, that he gave his only son that she could have eternal life no matter where you are on your spiritual journey today if you're a skeptic if somebody questioning if a seeker or a believer hear these words this morning God so loves you he gave his only begotten son so you could have eternal life you could have the joy for which he created you. Our Father, thank you for your word. And God, I, we've just scratched the surface of this. May these words ring throughout our Christmas season, our Advent, so that we will worship you as you deserve. Follow you as we should. And help shine the light into the lives of others who yet, do not yet know you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.